This morning we will continue in our series, Joy, from the book of Philippians. If you would turn in your Bibles to chapter 2, we're going to read verses 19 through 30. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Verse 19 of chapter 2. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete was lacking in your service to me. This is God's word. Amen. Good morning again. Let's pray one more time as we uh, prepare to look at God's Word together. Lord, we are grateful that you are a God who speaks. We're thankful that you have spoken to us in your Word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself ultimately and finally and fully to us in your Son. And so, Lord, we gather in his name We praise you for his love, for the forgiveness and life that we find in him. And we ask that you would be molding us and forming us more into his image as we live as your people. Lord, we give ourselves now to your word. I pray that we would listen, that we would hear what you have to say to us this morning for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Friendship. Friendship. When, uh, when we say that word friendship this morning, some of you in the room will instinctively bristle a bit. Maybe you come today longing for just one true friend. Friendship perhaps has always been a struggle for you in your life. Others of you stepped into this room this morning with hundreds of acquaintances You're someone who's never felt lonely in your entire life, but you know deep down you have a sneaking suspicion that you have few true friends in reality. Some of you just tune out completely when you hear the word friendship. You're independent, you're driven in both your work and your faith. You find little need for close and intense friendships and the complications and the messiness that can sometimes come. 
Others of you have several good, dear, solid friends. But you sometimes wonder what the basis of those friendships really is. What is their foundation? Well, this question, this topic of friendship is an important one. Thomas Fuller was well known for saying that if you have one true friend, you have more than your share. Well, this passage in Philippians will have a lot to say to us here today about true friendship, about gospel friendship, the kind of friendship to which we should all aspire as we follow Jesus as Savior. Now, if friendship is a major theme here in this passage, and I'm obviously suggesting that it is, we have to ask this question of the Apostle Paul. Why this and why now? Why this discussion at this point of this letter? So why now does Paul start going on and on and really gushing about these two men, about Timothy and Epaphroditus? It's by looking at the context, it's by looking at where he is in, the, in this point in the letter that we begin to see the answer to that question, that why this, why now question. Now, I know that we have a lot of you here today who are younger siblings. Nod your head if you're a younger sibling, yeah. Um, I hope that you have never, in the context of a lecture from your mother or father, heard this. I can't believe you did that, Jimmy. That was so irresponsible. Why can't you just be more like your older brother, Tom? Have some of you heard that? That's an instance where your, your older sibling is being used as an example by your parents in the context of them trying to teach and correct you about something. That's what's going on in our passage here today in Philippians. Paul is teaching and correcting the Philippian believers, and he's using examples to help them see where they need to go. So what is the substance of his teaching and correction that he's giving to the Philippian believers? If you'll look back to chapter 1, verse 27, chapter 1, verse 27 of the book of Philippians, that's where the lesson really starts for Paul. Let me read 1, 27. He says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul is speaking, he's beginning to speak to a huge theme in this book. It's the theme of unity, oneness in the gospel. What is this gospel? Well, Paul defines it elsewhere in 1 Corinthians as essentially the good news of salvation in Jesus. That is the gospel. It's that Jesus is God's son who died for sin on a cross, who laid in a tomb for three days, who rose again from the dead so that we can have new life, and all of that is according to the promises of Scripture. That's essentially how Paul summarizes the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. So Paul is calling the Philippian believers to a unity that is grounded in this word of salvation, this word of good news, this gospel. Look down then a bit further to chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, because here we find the main exhortation of Paul that really forms the basis for his discussion that's continuing 
into our passage today. So chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, Paul writes this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You hear the repetition there. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul is trying to move the Philippian believers toward unity because of partnership in the gospel. Then, from there, he is going to begin to give them examples of what this partnership should look like. So how do the Philippian believers partner with one another? How do they serve each other sacrificially for the sake of the gospel? Well, here are some examples that Paul wants to give them to instruct them in that. First of all, he gives them the example of Christ in verses 5 to 11. So Christ is one who, though he was in the very nature of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but became nothing, ultimately became obedient to death on a cross. It's this example of humility and service. Paul is saying through the example of Jesus in 5 to 11 that gospel partnership must be about obedience and sacrifice. He moves on then and and gives the example really of his own life in verses 17 to 18. Look at 17 to 18. Paul says this about himself. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad And rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So after giving the example of Christ, Paul gives the example of his own life. He has been poured out for their sake. He uses this sacrificial offering language. Paul is saying from his example that gospel partnership must be about joy and suffering for the sake of the gospel. Joy in suffering for the sake of the gospel. And then finally, we come to our passage today. After the example of Christ and the example of Paul, we come to the example of these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, these two faithful men who partnered with Paul in the gospel. Paul is telling the Philippians through their example that gospel partnership, gospel unity, must be done through deep gospel friendships. That's what it's looked like in Paul's ministry. Paul is going to continue to show the Philippians what gospel friendship, gospel partnership and unity looks like through the faithful friendships that he has had in his life and ministry with Timothy and Epaphroditus. By calling these men to the Philippians' minds at this point in the letter, he intends to continue teaching them about gospel unity, which he's been talking about since 127 and 2, 1 to 4. He's going to continue teaching them about this unity that he's calling them to have with one another in Jesus Christ. So, who are these guys? First of all, Timothy. Timothy is Paul's protege in pastoral ministry. He's been exposed to Paul's ministry firsthand. He's learned much from Paul, but he's also encouraged Paul in his love for him and for Jesus and the gospel. Epaphroditus is most likely a native of Philippi, probably a member of this Philippian church. He actually could very well be the one carrying this letter of Philippians back to the church at Philippi, probably after visiting Paul in prison to encourage him. 
He too has served faithfully side by side with Paul over the years. Now, of course, functionally, Paul is talking in this passage about some very concrete plans that he has for these men. That's the the functional purpose of this part of the letter. He's sending Epaphroditus to the Philippians, most likely with this letter in hand, and he's also hoping to send Timothy soon, although he can't bear to part with him quite yet. But as Paul discusses his plans for these two men, he is calling the Philippians to imitate and to learn from their example. So, what is it about them that is so impressive? What is it about them that makes Paul call them to mind in order, so, in order that they can serve as an example to the Philippians? Before we get into friendship, and we will, we need to take a close look at these gospel friends of Paul. How have these men modeled beautifully this gospel unity, this gospel friendship, this gospel partnership? Well, it seems that there are three distinct things that these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are for, are committed to in their lives. First of all, they are for others. They are for God's people. First, look at Timothy under this point. Paul calls Timothy a man who, in verse 20, for the Philippians, is genuinely concerned for their welfare. Genuinely concerned for your welfare, Paul writes. One of our college group interns, Brett Egerth, brought to my attention earlier this week that the word concerned here, used by Paul in a positive sense about Timothy, is actually the same word that's later translated as anxious in a negative sense in chapter 4 when Paul tells the Philippians not to be anxious about anything. That can be a little confusing. That confused me at first. But I, I think the point is that this word has kind of an intensity to it. Timothy is concerned, even intensely anxious, about the welfare of the believers in Philippi. Now remember, this kind of concern, this kind of genuine care, is something that's probably not happening in a beautiful way in the church at Philippi. There's some disunity, there there are some selfish pursuits going on here. Here is a guy, Paul says, who has been totally for you. He has been totally concerned for you, totally committed to you. He really cares about you, Paul is saying, in a way that you should be really caring about others in your community. Look down then to Epaphroditus. Look at what Paul says about him in verses 26 to 28. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. This is the language of deep personal concern. These verses speak to this this deep personal loving commitment that Epaphroditus has also for the believers at Philippi. So much so that he's distressed even by the fact that they heard he was ill. He wants them to be comforted even from that anxiety. We'll find, too, that these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are deeply for Paul as well as the Philippian believers. They are in support of him in every way. 
So what is it about these men that makes them true friends, true gospel partners for Paul? It's that they are genuinely, really, truly for others, for Paul, for their brothers and sisters in Philippi. Well, not only are they for others, they're for Jesus as well. When Paul begins to describe Timothy, he is intentionally using words that he has used earlier in the letter. Look at verse 21 as Paul begins to describe Timothy. Verse 21, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What has he just commanded the Philippians to do? Look back to 2.4, chapter 2, verse 4. He has just urged them, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So this would have been familiar language just 15 or so verses later. Timothy, Paul is saying, is one who does not look only to his own interests, like some of you. This is a man, Paul is saying, who is living out what I am telling you all to do. He is all about the interests of Jesus and all about the interests of others for Jesus' sake. Friends, for Timothy, this means a personal commitment to Jesus. This is not just Jesus as an idea for Timothy or Jesus in the abstract. This is Timothy giving his life for a person, for his Savior. There's really only one explanation for the actions and commitments of these two men that Paul holds up for us today. It's that they have tasted the glorious goodness of Jesus. Hear me on this point. We cannot emulate these men until we personally experience the grace of the Savior that they knew and loved. We can't be for Jesus until we know Jesus. Do you know him? Do you love him? Have you tasted his goodness and his grace? These men were not spending themselves and almost dying for a moral code, for some man-made religion. They were compelled to give all because they had met Jesus. Because they had experienced the life and the forgiveness and the grace that is found only in him. They had found something that was of surpassing worth to which nothing else on earth can compare. Let me ask you this today. Is that the way you think of Jesus? As one who is of surpassing worth. Someone to whom nothing on earth can compare. These men knew and treasured Jesus. They had experienced grace in him. They are therefore completely for him. So Timothy and Epaphroditus, men who are for others, who are for Jesus. And finally, men who are for the cause of the gospel. These men are all about Jesus personally, and that leads them to be overwhelmingly for his cause in this world. In other words, that more people would know Jesus and experience his grace. Let's clarify something here. Timothy and Epaphroditus are not doing what they're doing. They're not living sacrificially just because they really like Paul. They are doing it because they want the gospel to grow, because they want more and more people to know Jesus. It's not just about Paul for them, although they obviously love him and care about him. It's about Jesus. 
Just look at some of the phrases Paul uses to describe the the service and commitment of Timothy and Epaphroditus for the sake of the cause of Jesus, the gospel in the world. Of Timothy first, look at what he says in verse 22. Paul says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. He's been like a son serving a beloved father, Paul says. He's done this for a long time, too. He has proven worth. Look then at what Paul says about Epaphroditus. Just a few of the phrases he uses to describe this man. Look at 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. This is a guy Paul is saying who's been in the trenches with me for Christ. He's gotten his hands dirty for the gospel. He's spilled, maybe literally, his blood for the work of Jesus. Brother, worker, soldier for Jesus. And for Epaphroditus, this was no joke. Paul goes on about his commitment. Look at verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This was real commitment from Epaphroditus. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know that in the context of serving Jesus, this guy almost lost his life, completely sold out to the point of death for the cause of Christ. So Timothy and Epaphroditus, Paul holds these men up as joyful partners, as his friends, as these these brothers in the gospel who were for Paul, who were for others, who were for Jesus, and who were for the cause of the gospel in the world. Now, Paul is giving us, he's giving the Philippians a glimpse of what gospel unity or gospel partnership has looked like in his life. He's showing the believers at Philippi this picture of friendship from Timothy and Epaphroditus, from their examples. He doesn't want the Philippians to miss the joy of this kind of partnership, this kind of friendship. There is joy here. There's joy in going after the cause of Christ with other like-minded people. So with that in mind, let's turn and apply this passage a little more directly to our lives. How do we take a passage like this and then apply it? Well, in verse 29, we find Paul's application for the Philippians in the immediate context. It's really the one imperative that we see from Paul in the original context. Look at 29. He says, so receive him, that is Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. That's the main imperative that Paul gives to the people in Philippi. We ought to honor people who give their lives in this way. Honor people who are living their lives for Christ with this kind of commitment. Number two, we ought to imitate godly leaders. Paul is mentioning these men, remember, in the wider context of examples that he is giving to the Philippian church. Examples of sacrifice, examples of humble obedience, examples of unity that is pursued and achieved because of a common commitment to the life-giving gospel of Jesus. We ought to imitate people who live with that kind of direction, with that kind of single-minded focus. 
Think of people you know who live like that and then imitate them. Number three, we must put the gospel first. In other words, we must put the interests of Jesus first. We can't deny that more than anything else, these are two men who put the gospel first, way out in front of their personal pleasures or pursuits or comfort. Now, I want to urge you to understand that this is not just a word to pastors. This is not just a word for those of us who are involved in full-time ministry. This is not even just a word for those of us who are gifted at evangelism or gifted at Bible teaching. This is a word to every single Christian here to put the gospel first. I think sometimes we have this notion that there are different kinds of Christians. There are Christians who who put the gospel on a different level of priorities than others. Friends, a Christian is someone who is about the gospel first, period. No matter what our careers are, that is our calling as followers of Jesus, to put his cause first. And really, I want to suggest this morning that this commitment to Jesus is the first step to meaningful human friendships that have any depth at all. Deep friendships start with a personal devotion to Jesus, to his interests in our lives and then in the lives of others. So do you want a friend today? Do you want to be a better friend today? First, give yourself to Jesus. Ask him to be your Lord, your Savior, and your true friend. So number four, we come to friendship. And I want to suggest that as as we talk about gospel friendship from this passage, I think there are two different kinds of people here this morning. I know that this will be a bit of a generalization. But the first kind of person is sold out for the gospel, as I know many of you are, but you're doing it as kind of a lone ranger, as kind of a maverick out on your own. In fact, some have suggested that in general, people with the gift of evangelism specifically tend to do it on their own. They tend to be engaged in ministry by themselves. And then there are others of you who have lots and lots of friendships and lots and lots of close relationships that are not intensely connected with the growth of the gospel in your life and in the world. You talk about your families. And you spend lots of time together. Maybe you even vacation together. But you haven't taken that step to allow those friendships to really be centered on Christ and his cause in this world. You aren't confessing sin to one another. You aren't talking about what God is doing in your hearts and lives. And if that's the case, you probably aren't serving together or sharing the gospel together with your friends who don't know Jesus. The challenge of this passage is to learn from Paul to bring those two together. It's a corrective to all of us. It's a corrective to those of us who tend toward being lone rangers for the gospel and those of us who are always surrounded by friends but never talking with them about Jesus or serving with them for the gospel. This passage is a call to devotion to Jesus in the context of a deep relationship and deep friendships. That's what it looked like for Paul. 
That is what it is to look like for us. Friends, if Paul, the greatest apostle, leaned on friends like these men, then what about us? We need friends like these, like Timothy and Epaphroditus. And let me urge you that the deepest and best friendships are the ones that are ultimately about something else, about Jesus together. That's C.S. Lewis's picture of friendship, isn't it, from the four loves? He says that lovers are those who gaze intently into each other's eyes. They're consumed with each other. But friends are those who stand side by side and look out on the world together and face it together and pursue a common goal. That's the picture of friendship. That's Paul's picture in this passage. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, linking arms for the gospel. That idea applies to our marriages too, but that's a whole other sermon. So let's just consider a few questions for ourselves as we close this time together this morning. Would you consider a few questions with me? First of all, what kind of friends do we have? What kind of friends do we have? Now listen, we should have friends who are not Christians. Jesus did. Although those friendships too should be gospel friendships. They should have the gospel's growth as their goal. But as you think about your core relationships, your deep friendships, I'm asking you to evaluate those people. Are they the kind of friends that last because they share with you a common commitment to Christ? Are they the kind that would suffer with you for the sake of Jesus if it came to that? And it may someday. Secondly, what kind of friend are you? What kind of friend are you? In your deepest relationships, your closest friendships, are you driving and leading those friendships toward Jesus? A devotion to him personally and service together for him in the community. Are you the kind of friend that, that moves that friendship, that gets that friendship to that deeper gospel level? Do you serve with your friends in the gospel? Are you fellow soldiers in the trenches together for him? Partnering to spread the good news about forgiveness and salvation in Jesus' name. I want to encourage you this morning from this passage that we need to get there in our friendships. And finally, the last question, what is the substance of your friendships, of your relationships with people around you? I want to let you know that I am so encouraged because I am seeing gospel friendships in this congregation, especially among many of our young men. We are seeing friendships among the men in this church, men in their 30s, 20s and 30s, that are built on Jesus and the gospel. Guys who are serving with their friends in ministries in this church. Guys who are partnering together to disciple younger believers in Jesus. Young men who are holding each other accountable. Asking each other the tough questions about sexual purity and generosity and, and personal devotional lives. These are guys who have intentionally made the gospel the substance of their friendships. And their relationships are stronger and deeper for it. And God is using that to build his eternal kingdom here. We want College Church to be a place that is filled with these kinds of friendships. 
with friendships that are actually gospel partnerships. Friends who are pushing each other to Jesus on a deep level and friends who are partnering with each other to serve and speak to others about Jesus. I wonder what kind of a community this could be if all of us could say about our friends, I have served with them in the gospel or or with him, with her, with them, I am a fellow worker and a fellow soldier for Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you, in Christ, at the foot of the cross, have established unity for us. We don't have to create unity. We have it in your Son. We thank you for his blood. We thank you for forgiveness in his name. We thank you for new life because he has conquered death. And we ask that you would help us maintain that unity and grow in our gospel friendships here. We ask that more would know you because of the unity that we have together in your son. In his name we pray, amen.